HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky Tunes. Hello and welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. We are over the moon to have Heather Stobo and Lisa Cassoni talk about their delicious art project turned chocolate company, Beto Chocolates, which is started out of Ojai, California. They talk about how they launched the Porch Gallery in town, their muse, Beatrice Wood, and they share some incredible stories from Beatrice's and their own lives. It's a really fun and tasty chat. And then we dig into the archives for a little disco fun from Idiot Palms from the archives. They swung by in 2018, and this is a replay for something to celebrate some Sunday vibes for episode 550 or whenever you're listening here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. Thank you. 
so much for sitting down and chatting with me on snacky tunes you know before i get into it how's everyone doing everyone's safe i know the weather has been absolutely nuts uh up and down the west coast sort of wreaking havoc on a lot of crops and plants and, and washing out roads how are things up in ohio wet but for the most part everything's good i mean we you know we have the usual mudslides we've only the, the town was only closed off for what the day a day yeah which mm. might be a good thing yeah and and ohio so there's so many different little pockets of ohio we're right downtown so it's not a, as big of a deal for us but people in the canyons and mm -hmm. some of these areas they they definitely have problems Oof. yeah i mean it's like people were like we need a little bit of rain la and then it's been a lot of better rain and especially out out in the country you can get a little dicey at times well we feel like we should personally apologize every time we try and sell a building or do real estate transaction it seems something like this happens the last one was the Thomas <laughs> fire and now we have these historically wet rain you know the historic rain so we're sorry to everyone out there <laughs> oh that's what you get for trying to flip flip a gallery you know <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> You know, I think we can call the scientists and say we've got to the bottom of like, <laughs> exactly. global warming. Um, listen, I'm familiar with Ohio. I live down in L.A. and it's a super magical place. Um, but in some ways, I still think there's a little bit of a secret to maybe some people who are outside of California. For those who have never been to the era, yeah, can you talk about the art and the creativity and the food and wine and what, what Ohio is best known for? Um, well, mainly the creativity. Well, and it's, it's beautiful here. We have to say mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, it's nestled in a Valley that's actually very unique because it goes, I guess the Valley runs East West, which most valleys go North South. So that is what creates our famous pink moment. So meaning mm -hmm. that our sunrise and sunsets are just, they're really out of this world. The whole Valley turns pink. The, all the mountains turn pink. It's just, you know, I mean, people just stop in their cars to take it in. So that's pretty much that's one of our famous things in the art scene. We actually came up here because it's it's a creative place. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of creatives are drawn to just the kind of the ease of living here. Yeah, and the I beauty think, of living here. I think there you know there's um, many artists who live here and have been coming for multiple generations, and a lot of them have their own studios here. They have a big studio artist tour opening where they open their um, their gallery, their ga their studio space every year. I think the other thing is the nature of the place. It's surrounded by just hikes and beautiful bike paths. So to be outside as much as you can be here is pretty special. And um, I remember when I first, we, we lived in LA a really long time before moving to Ojai. And Heather was a little bit hesitant to be moving to a small <laughs> yeah, I declared at the end of my creative life. Yes, yeah, she did. And mm -hmm. I, um, I was drawn to it. I had known about it. My mom didn't live far from here. And mm -hmm. 
from the East Coast. I'm from Philadelphia originally. So she had moved out to um, close to Ojai in Ventura. So I would come up and I'd run up to Ojai and um, just was like, wow, what a cool little little town. It's mm-hmm. a city. It's not far from Santa Barbara. It's got a lot of things going for it. And we, we make a joke that we moved here with like one ratty bike and two cars. And now we have like <laughs> four or five bikes and we were able to share a car. So th- that's a pretty good. That's a pretty uh, good investment from L.A. Yeah. 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 Also, we have to add, it's horrible here. Don't move here. Yeah, don't. don't uh, uh, yes, of course. Of course. Of you'll, course. you'll hate the oranges. <laughs> you'll you'll hate the nature. Yeah. There's too yeah. many dogs. Yeah. If, if you hate good food, art, relaxing, and wine, you know, oh, hi, just yeah, cross stay, away. stay away. Um, you know, we, we always love having uh, couples on the show, especially those who've decided to not just throw their lot in life together, but also their business profession. But before we get into that business, how did you two meet? How did you guys get to know each other? Oh. <laughs> okay, this is, is this a PG crowd? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, we're, we're, it's the internet. It's digital yeah. podcast. You can share share the story you want to share. Okay, so first of all, I know Heather's going to jump in on this because um, <laughs> we always exaggerate every story. So, um, so I'll start, and if you want to jump in. So uh, I met Heather in Los Angeles, and I had lived there for quite a, quite a while. I moved out in the 90s from the East Coast. And Heather and I were introduced through an ex of mine. So she was, she was working for this ex who was in the casting commercial casting business. So when I first met her, I was not very, um, like very into Oha. Uh, it, excuse me, not very into Heather. So both um, <laughs> Oha and Heather, not high on the list at that moment. <laughs> Because my ex is essentially was hitting on on Heather. Sure, uh, sure. So yeah, so we ended up working on a job together that she put us on, and that that's the crazy um, yeah. LA, you know, the LA moment where you know your ex is in this in the business in in LA, and sure. uh, and so once in a while I would jump on and help with jobs, and and then she connected us on a job because she had to leave town for something, and then we went out to eat after a job that we worked on. And yeah. we got to start to get to know each other. And so I, I saw her in a, a very different light um, after working together and uh, spent, spending some time together. Yeah. For me, meanwhile, when I was working with this woman, she kept complaining about her ex. And every time she, <laughs> she started with that Lisa Cassoni and then she'd start the story where Lisa always sounded really fun. You know, yeah. Lisa, that Lisa Cassoni set up a baby pool in the backyard and is having a party with 10 women in there with, you know, and they're having drinking in the backyard in the baby pool. She's like that. And she'd get so mad. I was like, God, that Lisa Cassoni sounds fun. Yeah, she, she, yeah. She's just like an introvert. And that was very the opposite. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. We always talk about this. Like Heather is an introvert, but after five o'clock, she loves to be with people. So during the day, very quiet, um, shy introverted but um does like to be social in the evenings which helps us a lot because our our life is very social well we'll talk a little bit about the life that you've built together because you have this uh incredible chocolate business but before that you also started a gallery um how did that come to be what what led up to that moment to you know not just date and be together but to actually open a business and run one together. Well, I've been um, 
I moved down to Southern California to get my master's in photography at CalArts. Mm-hmm. And so, and, but before that, I've been working in the arts since undergrad. So since my t- early 20s. And um, we decided to come up here just because we were, more so Lisa was sick of LA. And so we made the decision to come up here and I was doing remote work. I was doing graphic design remotely. And then um, we did an exhibition of some of my photography in a rented space. And the person who owned the space was never there. So we ended up sitting in the gallery through the whole extent of the show and realized, A, how much fun it was, and B, how much Ojai needed a space like that. You know, Mm. people come and spend, you know, hours there just hanging out and talking and became this kind of like very salon-esque situation. Love it. And then, you know, so we started looking for a space and at that time, I had been doing some graphic design for this person, and he owned what was what eventually became our the porch gallery. And he had done a couple shows, but the gallery was defunct. So mm. I called him, and he basically said he he had double booked a show, and if I could clean up that mess, we could take over the gallery. So <laughs> it was that it was a situation where we started thinking about the gallery on a Wednesday. By Friday, we had a gallery. Wow. Um, yeah. So, and he was a friend. So he gave us a very, he, it was just a percentage of sales, which was really great. We didn't have to pay rent. So that enabled us to really out of the gate, take chances. We didn't have to start slow to kind of try and build up. Mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when within a year we had both quit our day jobs and we're running the gallery. And then five years ago, he sold us the building. So we bought the building five years ago. And one of the things I want to jump in and, and add, yeah. It's one of the most beautiful buildings in Ohio. It's very old. It's from the 1870s. It's very beautiful. And um, he had his business in there as well. So we were managing a, a part of the building. He also had offices in there. So it was a mixed use space, but it had this amazing front wraparound porch that was crucial in the beginning as um, as we opened and extended ourselves out to the community and um, got really involved with fundraising and having interesting ways to come at the building and using the, what I think is like the, the key to that building is that you extend it out and let people come and see how beautiful that mm. the structure is inside and out. Had a big grass yard that people would sit on, big yeah. wraparound porch. And um, we also had this friend named Guy Webster. And Guy is someone we did not know until we came to Ojai. He was a very well-known uh, photographer and lived in Ojai and also had his uh, home and studio for many years in Venice. And Guy knew everybody in town, including the owner of the building. They were good friends. And Guy started coming on Sundays and introducing us to all his friends. And it, it really was such an important influence to us because not only did he extend that um, you know, the circle of friends out to include all creatives and all kinds of different people. Like there was a piano in the building and he would invite his friend Dave Palmer to come and play on Sundays. Dave can play anything, most beautiful piano. And so other people would start bringing food. And then we started like having Sundays on the porch and you know, grabbing coffee from across the street and serving it to people mm. to by. And you know, the only thing that we asked when we started doing that is that you put your phones down and start talking to each other and engage. Sure, sure, sure. And have, you know, what are you working on? And I would introduce people to each other. And that's just sort of my nature to do that. But it really, like, just elevated that building. And that we were taking what the building was giving us and just maximizing that. And 
I think that's just one of the great things about um, you know, uh, the, the, the place where we are. We're right next to a farmer's market. So people would stop on Sundays and it made it really easy, whether you're coming and going from the farmer's market, you know, you were engaging with us and you're, and also the art. And we, we were putting art in there that was not really Ojai was known for. So um, Heather was really into, from you know, her background, contemporary art and art that was you know not being shown already in Ojai. So that that was an advantage we think as well. You know, showing things we liked and educating people about about the work. And that's not to say we didn't work with a lot of local artists. We did, and we also worked with art organizations in town and did fundraisers for the studio artists, for example. But many other instances of many other of mm. um, you know events and fundraisers and you know above and beyond our you know shows that we were I think doing like every other month there was a new show. Yeah. there was a new show. <laughs> and, um, the, the beauty that we had too is because we lived in LA for so long and we had friends that were in the art. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We started you know engaging artists um, from LA to come up and show with us and they could stay with us and then yeah, twist my them, arm right. Yeah, we would show them other parts of the town. We'd let them use our bikes. We you know so that they would go away with just a great weekend um, for their opening. And that that just really steamrolled. Yeah. That really got us into um, being able to show artists, you know, way outside um, of our local economy and local area. Well, we used it as a, you know a kind of incentive. We would, you know, I remember one artist we called and said, "Do you want to do a show up at the Porch Gallery?" And he said, "No." And I said, "How about coming up for a weekend?" And he said, "I'll do that." And I said, "Bring your artwork and hang it." <laughs> yeah. No, I was like, "I'm right, fine." How about how about two tickets to the spa and maybe we'll. See if we can get your art in the, our gallery. And they're like, all right, all right, all right. It's a great story. So um, there's a photographer that we absolutely love named Monica. Yeah. And her husband, we've shown her uh, twice, and her husband is a composer. So we had asked her way in advance because she's so busy. Hey, Mona, um, do you want to do a show? And uh, do you want to show it during the music festival? And uh, your husband yeah. can come up and enjoy the music festival. Yeah, we'll get you tickets. We'll get you tickets. Mm-hmm. That was, and, and they, they have a, a, a son. And um, so they got to engage, the, um, the son and the husband got to engage with the music festival. And so that was a really good example of, yeah. you know, how to, how to get people and find, find out what their interests are. Uh, and, and just, that was just a, such a wonderful experience. Um, and after we showed her twice, we also did a book signing with her because she has oh n- numerous yeah. books out. So that was so cool. Yeah. So the morals were not above begging and bar- and, <laughs> and bribing people to get up here. No, of course not. And, you know, and when we come back from the break, we're going to talk about throwing some chocolate into the mix. Because if somebody says no, then you say, how about a box of chocolates? Oh, I yeah. Think, I don't think anyone's going to pass on that. Um, we're going to take a quick musical break with a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. This is where river starts. Though I know nothing could be perfect There's places we pass through On our journey through the rabbits And then takes a turn There's some bands it goes to Fresh water to salt Now everyone controls you Nothing could ever be stopped 
Snacky Tunes. We are here with Heather Stobo and Lisa Cassoni of Beto Chocolates. And before the break, you're talking about this gallery. You're talking about engaging the community and the art and the inspiration of the area. And it's one thing to have a gallery, and it's another thing to get into artisanal chocolates. What gave you the idea? How did you make the jump? Where did you find your inspiration? Well, Lisa can talk about this one. So, yeah, this you know this this was definitely um, a situation that was completely unforeseen. So, in 2017, the very end of 2017, there was at the which was at the time the largest fire in California called the Thomas Fire mm-hmm. that, that hit town, surrounded the town. and surrounded Ojai. and we had just bought the building, and so within. A very short period of time, we needed to evacuate. And we literally put the down payment on the building and we're driving home, looked up and said, Does that, that looks like a fire. And wow. then we thought it wasn't very far away. And then, of course, you know, the rest is kind of history on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. 
So what happened was, so we were evacuated for uh, five days and incredibly stressed out. And we went with a couple friends who were incredibly stressed out. And uh, every afternoon at the place we stayed with, we went up uh, into a little town called Solvang. And every afternoon at this place we stayed, um, which they were very kind to open up um, to let our animals stay there, they would serve chocolate and we would be hot chocolate. Uh, hot chocolate. So and it's incredibly comforting to meet chocolate. And um, so and this was the end of um, very end, in December when this happened. So, so this was very stressful and it was the end of the year. So. By about the third day, um, we just all day long, we're seeing all kinds of footage and people that didn't leave. And one of the pieces of footage we saw was that the Beatrice Wood Center had burned down. Mm. That was a rumor. It was not true. But it led us to have discussions about, whoa, this is really serious. This this fire is is really yeah. destroying um, many buildings. And so and that was true. But um, so we were thinking and talking about legacies because I was just trying to get our minds off of the stress of right, the, right, 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 right. So we, we started bringing up legacies that what if the town burned out? What would we miss the most um, mm. in the town? And so there are all these really creatives and um, historical figures uh, attached to Ojai. So Beatrice Wood, you know, really uh, because we were having this chocolate, and I was thinking about you know that 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 whole um, notion of who she was and what she what she inspired and she inspires a lot in us. Um, it's, it's it's an artist that we have a lot of affirmation uh, admiration for. We collect her work, and she also lived where um, she next to her studio up in the upper part of Ojai. So we come back and um, there's you know, no business because the town's still recovering from a major fire. And so we, I approached Heather about um, doing something with chocolate. And she said, absolutely not. We know nothing about chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> and why, why do we want to get into something else? And so basically what, what we were discovering was we needed to pivot very well, quickly. Lisa, Lisa yeah. found the loophole. Yeah, I did. So, yeah. So we, if we, she figured out if she tied it to an artist that I would think about it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. It's an art project. My yeah, darling, exactly. my darling, think about it. Think about it as a, something that we're going to create to put out to the world for people to enjoy. Exactly. Yeah. So, like I said, we're big fans of her. Um, of her, her. Uh, she's very well known as a very famous potter, and also mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. She did this thing in her life. Um, you know, she had this lustrous life. She had beautiful luster glazes, and so. And they also called her the Mama of Dada, and she was a major rule breaker. So. Yeah. Essentially, this whole idea, because we were having chocolate, and uh, I grew up near uh, in Pennsylvania, but uh, when I was a kid, we lived near Hershey. So I started connecting all these dots around chocolate, and and, and Ernest talking to Heather a little bit more about this. So we went up to the Beatrice Wood Center, and um, we discovered that there were these little ceramic uh, pieces that would have made beautiful chocolates, and that's where we started with the moon thing. That was the first chocolate. And we, um, you know, being in the art business, we thought this would be a great extension of the gallery. Yes. And having a shop in the gallery with, um, uh, we came up with the, the name Beto Chocolates because that was her nickname. So little by little, I convinced Heather that this was a good idea. And of course, you know, chocolate requires, a, a, it's, it's very, it's like uh, ceramics and pottery in a way. It's very alcohol. Mm-hmm. You can you have to know you know you have to get tempering machines and yep. so we started really small and we had a kitchen in the gallery um, where we could make it so we mm. got a couple of tempering machines and the first uh, mold that we attempted to do 
this moon face chocolate. And again, everything has a story. Every single sculptural chocolate, every bar has a story and a connection to the artist. So we're using her original mold and or artwork to tell her story. Wow. We think her story, she was a very much of a pioneer and um, helped start the Dada movement. And then also, you know, it's a, it's a women centric business. And so we, we little by little attempted to do this. And um, we put this moon face little sculpture out and tested it out in the community and people loved it. Mm. Uh, they started, uh, purchasing it and the town immediately took to it. And they started using it as fundraising gifts. And oh, that's so cool. It was just so cool. With And we literally, for the first, I think, year, we just had two sculptural um, yeah, we did chocolates. Then, then we did one, a little horse. Yeah. So, But we've also, when we started this, we went up and met with Kevin Wallace, who's the director of the Beatrice Wood Center. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was, so, it was so much fun. He had someone in there, and we just started pulling out molds. And, you know, we just would point at things. And she would, you know, she would make a little like a little ceramic piece for us. And, you know, so we could kind of see what they felt like. And, and it was just, it was really magical just to be able to, it's like to just be on in this inner space and you have the energy of Beatrice and we're just pointing at her work saying, let's try that. Let's try that. And he's like, let's try it. It was like, there's no nose. It was great. The other thing too, that it's really important to, um, to mention this Beto, who lived to be 105, she wow. often asked the secret to that long life. And she would often be quoted, I owe it all to art books, chocolate, and young men. Well, there you go. People knew to bring her chocolate. So chocolate was an integral part of this and, and the storytelling of it. So that the, the artist was connected to that. Yeah, she was um, famous for her love was, of chocolate. Yeah, she was famous for it. And, and like I said, people knew to bring her chocolate. And um, I remember this story. We get, we've heard so many anecdotes. Unfortunately, we've never got to meet her, but mm. our chocolatier has met her. Um, and, and so we've heard so many stories about her from people who knew her or people that worked for her or people that met her. Um, so, and, and you know, she crossed a lot of boundaries in terms of who she knew and not just artists and not just you know, the Dada artists, but many spiritual leaders like Krishnamurti and Huxley. And she was a theosophist. So, she was very unusual. Um, she actually, one of the things that, I, one of the anecdotes I heard from somebody was she was invited to go to India and she um, got all these saris, came back with mm-hmm, all these saris mm-hmm. and pink was her favorite color. So when you see pink on boxes, it's, it's very purposeful. So ah, she would wear these saris and all this great jewelry. And she was just a character. And somebody asked her once, you know, why do you wear saris all the time? She said, so I can eat more chocolate. <laughs> Oh, that's good. That's good. The flowing of the chocolate. Yes. Oh, my God. So you have the chocolate business, you have the art gallery, and you're doing the chocolate sort of as something for the gift shop, something for the town. How did you take it to a larger level? How did you expand? What went into growing the business? Uh, Well, first of all, it was partially demand. Um, Mm. It was just, it was going really well. And the more we started deep diving into Beatrice and her life and her artwork, you know, we, um, we just started coming up with all these great ideas and we hired a full-time chocolatier, Fran. Shout out. And, um, and so then during COVID, we came up with the idea of doing a bar and that was the first bar we did was, um, the Happy Valley bar and which it's dark chocolate which we call pixie dust. So it's the dried pixie rinds sprinkled on the back and then it's flavored with orange oil. Mm. 
And so once we started doing that, it led us into this whole different realm of kind of like playing with our artwork. And so, you know, we would look at our artwork and just come up with these ideas and then be like, okay, let's, you know, like one is the pussy between us. And we were just kind of laughing about that one day. We were like, well, we should, we should do a milk chocolate bar with this. Yeah. And, and suddenly we were like, why don't we? And we just, it grew like that. It, and so it just started growing and becoming, you know, as I said, it just, the, it, the community started loving it. We loved it. And it's just, it's, it's really fun. The other thing too, is we mentioned this at the beginning, like we're like, we feel like um, destruction follows us wherever we go. So when, when the first bar came out, uh, we uh-huh. had, we had, and it's, it's happening right now in Ojai, it's pixie season in Ojai and pixie is a tangerine that Ojai's famous for mm-hmm. Ours here have um, made it in, made these, uh, these pixies grow as it's sort of a hybrid tangerine, but they're highly coveted by restaurants. And it's surrounded by pixie farmers and ranches in Ojai. And right now, the whole town smells like orange blossoms. It's just mm. an incredible place uh, in terms of the agriculture of Ojai. So that's why we wanted to start out with that orange bar with yeah. the pixies and buying right. directly from the farmers here. But our chocolatier, Fran, who's also an incredible creative person, she's not only a great chocolatier, but she she's an artist. She's a beautiful baker. So she adds a lot to um, how we do things and, and, and just the textures and the flavors. And, um, and she's very collaborative with, with, um, with Fran. So the first, the month we were supposed to release that bar, COVID hits. And so we, we had talked to each other, all three of us saying, should we wait? Maybe this thing passes in a few weeks. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. mm-hmm. And of course, you know, no, that doesn't no, happen. So we decided no. to release it anyway. And all we had were the sculptures. And um, we had some people had some of our clients or retailers had asked us to come out with bars. So it was an ask that we followed up with. So Mm -hmm. we didn't have packaging. Yeah, didn't have packaging for it. Yeah, I was making the pack, just printing it out on my own printer. Yes. So, okay, so now COVID hits and um, we decided to go, you know, go ahead with it. And because nobody could come in the building, so... Again, like how do you yourself around this? So we would set up these coolers because we have this great wraparound porch where people could Oh, yes. And we built out a website and we delivered it. And the other thing we did, which I think was just um, just something that mattered to us, uh, was that we gave it away to frontline workers for the first month. Mm. We would find people doing things. And we would know about these people or we would hear about them or they would be in the newspaper. And we'd go give them a chocolate bar that's a happy – it's called the Happy Valley Bar. And just that little bit of, hey, make someone feel better today was – it not only made us feel engaged and also, um, you know, not – sitting around saying how long is this thing going to go on, but just keep going and not stopping and um, stay creative in, in what, whatever is being thrown at you. So that's what we did. So when um, things, you know, we, we lifted and then we got back into COVID and closed down a couple of times. That allowed us to keep growing and come out with more bars. So in that, in that time off, we just started expanding. And how many bars do we have now since COVID? Like 12 12 bars. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible, incredible to go from cast to one bar to a dozen. It's, it's a, it's a beautiful story. And to have your own personal chocolate muse, you know, that's, it's pretty exciting. Well, it's also, yeah, I I, I agree. It's very exciting. It's it's just very fun. And it's, you know, 
And it's also finding this, you know, when we think of Beatrice, we she really embodied the tenets of living a life that's like full of creativity, wellness, and pleasure. And that's what we wanted to do. We wanted to take those that you know that uh, those three prongs and put them in chocolate. And- I love, yeah, and and it comes through, and and it feels, you know, the chocolate feels of a certain time and place and point of view, which, you know, artisanal chocolate bars, you could go into a store and see hundreds. And so to have something that's so unique and special really rings true. Oh, well, thank you, by the way. That, and, you know, what's, uh, and we firsthand have gone into people's homes that we didn't even know they had our chocolate bars. And what's really fun is to see them, they'll save the artwork, they'll save the packaging. Of course. They'll, put it, they'll put it in a frame. They'll have yeah. it in their kitchen next to another thing that's something they've um, that something in their travels they've collected. So it it's it is like artwork. It's like edible artwork, but um, but done in a way that has a, a it rings true in the town, and it also we're finding it rings true because of the Dada spirit outside of Ojai. So that's the, that was the challenge. Like, is something like this does it resonate outside of Ojai? And we're finding that it it yeah. is. So. Our chocolates in some LA places. We built it out online. We've shipped it to other countries. Yeah, wow. it's been amazing, um, and they're they're all responding to the storytelling of it because every bar, every box contains a story, and um, this story. And we we sort of take these stories and we we don't go on and on with them. We just give you the just like what is this piece of artwork about? What was she thinking? And, mm. Um, that's that's the thing. And again, it totally goes back. And this is how we live our lives, too. The tenets of wellness, creativity, pleasure. All Every day we think about those things and how we can embody that, too. So you're not, you're not just having a person that you're inspired by, but something that you can take into your own life and um, be and you know just expand that with your own life and your own friendships and your own town and beyond your town. And that's where it gets really exciting. Um, so we're never it's never boring. There's no she had no. Not Never boring. Books. Not only did she do great, beautiful drawings that just were from the beginning of her time, just recording parties that she went to or events that she had. She was just always working well into her hundreds. One of my favorite stories is a, one of the newest bars out is called the Titanic Bar. Mm-hmm. So within days of um, the, it's a 25 year anniversary of the movie um, being released, Titanic. So she was inspired. The character of Rose was inspired by Beatrice Wood. A lot of people don't know this, but James Cameron wow. came by and met Beatrice Wood because of an introduction of a friend of his, Bill Paxton. So Bill's wife gave um, James Cameron her autobiography, which was titled, I, I love the title of her autobiography, I Shock Myself. And we also have a bar <laughs> called I Shock Myself. But he was so enamored with her and met her several times. He, um, he That was the character, Rose. So this Titanic bar, which has you know one of her drawings on it, is also covered the back of the bar in rose petals. And sea salt. And that came about because of a, another set of, a couple that we love in Ohio that have another business, um, that, that inspiration. So, and he's part, uh, he's, he grew up in Ireland. So the, the, the whole thing with him is hilarious. He's like our best customer mm-hmm. and uh, he buys, um, the, our milk chocolate bar. He buys so much by, of by it. The dozens. By the dozens. I mean like two or three times a week. So oh we God. actually, we st- he's our biggest wholesale. <laughs> 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 but the story with him is 
he and his wife were trying to get pregnant, and he's so stressed out that uh. <laughs> his And we just yeah. love that story. And we keep saying, gosh, this is like a lot of chocolate. He's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm under a lot of stress. Right we're trying. Now. I need my energy. I need a chocolate bar. We got to go again. Uh, listen, I cannot thank you enough for sharing so many stories with us and I, I know we could go on for more hours and hours, but I want to make sure that people know where to get the chocolate, how they can order it, um, if they want to come by and pick up the chocolate in person, where they can go. Uh, what's all your information? Um, well, the best place right now to buy it is uh, BetoChocolates.com. We mm. ship everywhere. Um, if you're in Ojai for the next week, you can come by the Porch Gallery. We actually are selling yes. it right now. I heard. So, Yes. I mean, which is, I mean, we're very excited. It's, you know, it's time for a new phase and, um, and the chocolates, we really are doubling down on it. We're really going full steam ahead with it. Unbelievable. And if people want to follow along on Instagram. Oh, I was, I was going to say in, in Ojai, if you're visiting Ojai, we're, we're in like all over um, in yeah. different locations in Ojai and including the hotels, the Ojai Valley Inn and the Capri and the Rancho Inn, yep. but also um, some upscale retailers in Ojai. Uh, very easy to find us if, if you walk around town. We're in many, many locations um, in retail establishments that that um, that just love it and love uh, that it's part of the Ojai story now. Um, just like just like the olive oil and just like the, the honey that's grown. Yes. We're we're now in in that um, in that lexicon, so we really appreciate that. And uh, but yeah, online I would say if you're not coming to Ojai anytime yeah. soon, I mean it's so special for you to to move to Ojai, create community in this space, and then now be included in the community of of goods and and items that represent the area. What a what a special full circle. No, we feel, yeah, we feel the same thing. We feel very fortunate. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Shout out to Anne for helping to set this up. We really appreciate it. We have a song from the archives and then a performance from the archives from 88 Palms here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network.
they falling Cause you're filling my mind up with doubt So if you want out Just say something No, don't you leave me in the dark now Just say something Keep waiting and I'm gonna break down Just say something No, don't you leave me in the dark now Can't you say something, babe? Keep waiting and I'm gonna break down Oh boy, you know I'm gonna This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. And of course, there's the two Michelin-starred Blanca tucked away in the garden for truly daring diners. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Welcome back to Snacking Tunes. I'm one half your host, Greg Bresnitz. Uh, We have 88 Palms live in studio today. Welcome. Hi. Hello. Well, we've got two off mic and one on mic. So do you want to introduce who's in the room? Um, so we have Kaito Sanchez and Joshua Ruha, um, two of my guys. Um, we all play together around town. We're missing uh, Jonathan Granoff and Morgan Wiley, who play bass and keys with us. Um, they're elsewhere in the world today. And Morgan, for old Snacky Tunes listeners, might remember when he was on as Midnight Magic, which is what we heard right before we came back. Yes. From break. Yes. Uh, and uh, Kai- like, and Kaito plays with Midnight Magic as well. Yeah. I think that was eight years ago. Yeah. Which is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we did that here, don't we? Yeah, we did it here. Magic, yeah, we fit all six people in here, plus us, <laughs> plus friends. Uh, it was pretty crammed in. Crammed in. I think that was one of the most packed we'd ever done. It was, it was hot. Yeah. It was great, though. I mean, I feel like that was it, all this and this music is also just like all summer tropical, really amazing summer vibes. Um, yes. Right before we started, you had mentioned that there's a number of rules for 88 pubs. <laughs> Rule number three being keep a jazz mentality. What are some of the other rules and how have they developed and uh, um, affected the, the way the band creates and, and performs? The the number one rule is don't look Rhea in the eyes. Perfect. Sorry, um, I've broken it. <laughs> which everyone breaks all the time. But just just know that I'll, I'll, I'll come for you in some sort of way. Like, eyes or eyes? What are you <laughs> 
<laughs> eyes. Don't look Rhea in the eyes. Kaito gets the, the other view most of the time. The drummer. <laughs> the drummer. Classic drummer view. Classic drummer view. Um, let's see. Number, number two is um, vibes. Just vibes. Just feel it. Just go with it. Um, we end up improvising a lot because we all have so many other different projects going on. There's not a lot of time for rehearsals and, and practicing. So um, it ends up being a lot of jazz, rule number three, jazz mentality. Um, keep it, you know, there there are no wrong chords, just jazz chords. <laughs> well, it's, it's more about uh, the, the, perf the performance, you know, like I feel like jazz musicians are just so good on their craft that they don't rehearse. Mm. And they know the tune, they just like, okay, be, be comfortable, be solid, be confident, but also be playful. It's really, I mean, it's like, uh, here's the structure, you know, the song, exactly. play, play within it, mm -hmm. uh, play around it. And listen to everybody, it's yeah, a conversation. Right, yeah. yeah, the conversation place, especially for people, I mean, you, you're all in bands, uh, you're all from diverse backgrounds, you're all from different musical upbringings, but, you know, when bands try to play the same note every time, especially when it's this type of music, it feels a little soulless. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the fun things about the, the 88 Palm shows, is nobody ever gets the same show twice. <laughs> it's well, yeah. like... Even if you want e it. Yeah, yeah, even if we tried to put a structure on it and make it a thing, you know, inevitably <laughs> somebody's gonna kind of be in a moment, and I'm looking at Kaito like... Yeah, how do you how do you deal with that type of? I mean, you've only been playing live since 2017, so yeah. the live show is still relatively new. How do you communicate, uh, and how do you let someone just if they're living inside a moment? How do you let them live without getting uh, frustrated? Um, there's no there's no frustration. I mean, you know, we've we're all we've all been playing together in different respects for for long enough, but it's like we recognize when somebody is kind of feeling something and in a moment like I like to just let them let them have that moment sometimes it's me sometimes it's Kaito sometimes it's Josh sometimes it's uh Dominica from Underground System who joined us on flute the other day you know and I just let her rip and do her thing um you know until it felt like the right moment to go back into the to the track uh that that's amazing and so like the songs are structured I mean obviously the recorded is you set something down but how did you get to for the EP a structure that for a show that's ever evolving and I'm sure practice the same way, how did you go, okay, that's the version? Um, honestly, um, a lot of the EP, Morgan and I wrote really quickly together. Um, I kind of came into the studio one day and he had a couple kind of like ideas floating around that he had started and he was playing me a bunch of stuff and, and I started kind of improvising and singing on top of it. He stuck a microphone in front of me and, you know, we very quickly had kind of rough ideas of what the songs were going to be. We did a little bit of fine tuning in terms of like the arrangements and structures, but um, the versions that are on the EP are not that different. Um, and they're pretty non-traditional structurally. Yes. Um, which is kind of a byproduct of, of rule number two. Rule number two, which is jazz vibes. mentality. No, that's rule number vibes. three. Vibes. Just yeah. vibes. Just, feel, yeah. just feeling it. And, you know, like I, you know, I hadn't really written a lot of stuff like that with, um, with anybody else previous to that. So both of us were just kind of going off of like, I don't know, does it feel right? Does it feel like it should end here? And not really operating within a traditional songwriting structure. Um, which makes it really challenging and really interesting to do these songs live. <laughs> Can we hear something live? 
yeah, let's let's play something live. What are you gonna play for us first? Um, so this first song is called Downtown. Um, this is another one. We have a little. This isn't um, out on you know Spotify and all of that just yet. Um, this is on our our SoundCloud. We have a little mixtape that we threw up. That's just a lot of kind of really um, fun, houseier, easy things that we just threw together that we'll be releasing at some point. But sometime, sometime, sometime. You know, one All thing, right. one thing at a time. Here. Well, here we go with eighty eight pubs live on Snacky Tunes. Street. 
<laughs> I couldn't help but eavesdrop while you were doing soundtrack, and you said that Jessica Rabbit was a guiding light from your childhood to present day. Yeah. How does that work? How does that work? Um, I was just, I guess, really inspired by this powerful uh, female character who um, used her kind of talents and abilities in order to um, kind of transport people to another kind of fantasy realm, I think. Oh, wow. Oh, we have pizza now. This is incredible snacky tunes tunes. wow um yeah and i i just always um obviously she's very beautiful character and i'm i always really respected the fact too that she loved little roger rabbit for his talents and abilities and not necessarily based on looks like a you know like a woman of her stature could so um yeah and i just i just love that i love the the sexiness of it and the embracing that sexuality and like kind of and not being not shying away from it was uh i think an important part of that i think the other interesting thing too is that this has your sound has such like a classic new york Mm. disco but most of you from the west coast so uh how did that sound become the guiding light as well for 88 palms and how does that kind of reflect you know the music that you make as a band? So, um, I'm from Salt Lake City, Utah, originally, um, but my father's from Mexico, so I grew up spending um, a lot of time in Mexico as well, like beaches and palm trees and kind of tropical vibes. Um, Morgan is from um, Las Vegas, originally spent some time in L.A., and we both just have this kind of like desert affinity for this sort of like tropical sound but then you know both of us ended up transplanting to to New York City and um I mean and Kaito as well who plays a lot of the percussion and guitar and bass too on on and yeah on the whole record um from Panama and been in New York as well and so there's a definite wide range of influences. My my father was a, a disco DJ in the 70s in Mexico. Um, really? Do you know the name of the clubs? Um, have you ever heard of a little club called Senor Frogs? Oh, <laughs> oh well, of course. <laughs> it's, so, like, it's like Pizzeria Uno, and like the original is amazing, <laughs> and every other one is terrible. Yes. But so, like the original is like, oh, well, if they're all like this, this makes sense. Yeah. Why we play in the original. Yeah, yeah. So the original one was in Moscow. Atlan, Sinaloa in the 70s and his best friend from high school started it. So they were all running Wait, he it. He knew Senor Frog, the original. The Yeah, El Senor Frog. El Senor Frog. Yeah. Oh, was that a dude? <laughs> no. <Yeah>. Um, <laughs> but if his friend started it, yeah, yeah. El Sapo. El Sapo. So yeah, so that was how um, so he started, you know, he was bartending and barbacking and a waiter and, and DJing and um, and at that time, a lot of the music cats from L.A. would come down to get away from the, the scene there. It was a little bit, it sounds like kind of what Tulum is to New York right now, sure. you know, where everyone goes to get away. So my dad was, you know, running hotels and nightclubs in that scene and doing like volleyball on the beach with Bob Dylan and dancing with John Travolta in the club 
clubs and and um, he you know raised me with a, a very like prominent disco kind of mentality that I didn't embrace at first when I was in my heavy rock and roll phase. And then as I got older and got more into, you know, like dance music and house and its origins and disco, I I began to understand that um, Papa Alberto really actually knew what he was talking about. (laughs) We eventually get there. Is there one record that sums up your child? Like if you heard it, it would take you right back to your dad playing records for you? Um, Anything Beatles or Led Zeppelin. Um, At, but not a disco record. Disco. But not the disco. The <laughs> disco didn't come until later. I think the. I think one of the things that that really cemented that for me. He he gave me. He gave me my first Depeche Mode CD when I was like fifteen, and that really changed a lot of things for me. And then it was like I remember around the time when um, when Daft Punk released their last album, Random Access Memories, and asking my dad about Nile Rodgers and him sort of giving me like a verbal backhand and being like course i know about <laughs> nile rogers and maroder and donna summer and all and he was he was like uh speaking of maroder he just announced his first live tour ever at like oh. 79 whoa yeah he's wow. a beast man he, yeah um, no uh, oh. jojo maroder like four dates of the uk a lot of a lot of respect yeah. for for Marissa. yeah sure take your time take your time <laughs> yeah take your time can we hear another song uh yeah let's do another one this is um, <laughs> we just we just decided to do this one on the fly. Um, switch it up, do something a little a little faster. Um, this is called "Show Me What You Taste Like," and this is not out yet either. We're just doing a bunch of exclusives for you guys today. Perfect. We love a snack and cheese exclusive. <laughs> we used to have an air horn that when anyone would say that, but that air horn got retired. So. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, thank you. Yes, the 88 Palms version of an air horn. Perfect. Um... Every night I don't wanna see 
take it to the top. Uh, oh, uh, oh. Shut me up. I don't want it to. You mentioned that you're always in a phase of recording. Uh, how does that work, especially with all these demos and everything? Is it just one at a time? Is it who's ever around? I mean, it, it, it's an eclectic group of musicians to pin down in a room. So how does that work? Yeah, so um, usually how it ends up working is, um, I mean, it's really, honestly, it's really hard anytime um, we meet up in the studio to not write something new. And it's and it's also really cool, um, the, the space we work out of in in. Greenpoint, um, there's always all kinds of amazing people sort of floating around the space and you never really know who's going to like drop in or be around. And so a lot of the what's on the EP, you know, Morgan and I kind of wrote the basis for it together. And then, you know, as he's in the studio and people are coming by, he can kind of like grab people and like, hey, can you lay down a bass part on this real quick? Hey, you, you want to do some drums on this? Hey, you want to do some guitar? And then we kind of come back together and like retool the whole thing and um and or sometimes we'll be in there working on something and someone shows up and they have something to contribute so it's just like yeah it's it's that it's that kind of jazz mentality again where it's just like free form um recording rule number one is yeah well we've all um, broken that i'm sorry i keep breaking rule number one i keep looking at you (laughs) i apologize I'll just stare at you, ask questions over there. Yes. If you want to talk to Ria. Yeah. You're going to have to get through Kaito. Look there, and then she'll wink. <laughs> and then it'll come back to me. Uh, so you have a DJ gig coming up on the 17th. What what can one expect in a, a DJ set? Um, yeah. So um, that one's just, I'm going to be DJing. Um, Josh is going to be there with me. We're going to play a little set um, at Gospel in Soho on Wednesday um, my good friend Sean Glass does a little party there called Reunion where he kind of brings together all of his contacts from all these various different industries and um, just makes a really cool party about it. So we're going to do a couple of live songs and then um, I'll DJ a little bit with him and some other people. Um, the DJ sets are, you know, it's um, it's a lot of stuff that, um, that I'm inspired by um, that I'm really into right now. Um, a lot of house and, and disco edits, obviously. Of course. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and then you're playing the McKittrick Hotel Halloween party, which I was at last year, and it is phenomenal. Yeah. It's one of the best times ever. I think I've actually been a few years in a row. Uh, what Will you be in costume? What will the attire be? <laughs> it's three different nights. Is that three different costumes? Like, how does it work? What is, what's the plan? Yeah, so I'm in the process of figuring that out right now, actually. Um, you know, stylists and designers get at me. We've got a lot of dressing to do. Um. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in between Mexican and Elvis. Mm. Miles Davis. Mm. Uh, Teddy Gross. Teddy, uh, Pen- Pe- Teddy Pentagram? I mean, that, I mean, Teddy, Teddy Gross. <laughs> Teddy Pentagram is. That's a good one, actually. That's actually a very good one. For Halloween, that's well, very that was, good. That's how, that's how Charles Bradley used to call him. Oh, really? Teddy Pentagram. Teddy Pentagram. Yeah. yeah. Close enough. Close enough. Um, 
Yeah. So um, yeah. So three different nights. Um, it's I guess the theme is like a, a kind of like haunted dystopian thing. So I'm feeling personally, I'm feeling a lot of like Blade Runner type naturally vibes, Perfect. which is you know very Blade close Runner. to my heart as well. Um, so I don't know. It's loose. But then we're playing in the Mandalay Bar, which is like this very jazzy, like dark, sexy kind of room. So. Um, Honestly, at this point, I have no idea. I'm just gonna. I this is how I do Halloween every year. I just I have so many fun outfits in my closet. I just kind of pull something I, out and. I get the most amazing ideas like around June. Around June, right, like yeah. May, yeah. Or something like this is a great idea. So, and I always, so I always think set. about like I should write them and I forget Forgotten. them. And it's like when it's close to Halloween, I just oh, I forgot this amazing idea I had and I got hung on that. I like you can you know, be Teddy like Pentagram. Had, like, I'll be Jessica Rabbit. Yes. Josh? To be determined. All right, well, I want to make sure we have time for one more song. Uh, where can people find your music, get your tour dates, hear your SoundCloud mixes? Um, so we're on all digital platforms, iTunes, um, Spotify, Google Music, Amazon, all these things. Um, we're, honestly, most of the tour dates and everything is through um, Instagram, at 88palms. Um, Not taken. Not, <laughs> not take it. So important these days. So important. So um, yeah. So that's I think the best way to kind of keep up with us because um, that's the only thing that I have time to update most of the time. So <laughs> perfect. Well, we want to thank Bruce Bromberg for talking with Darren early in the episode. Uh, thank you to Andrew Poso for putting us all together. Thanks, Andrew. Jeet, our new Sunday engineer. Welcome to the family. Pleasure thank having you, you. Thank you to Cog as well. Uh, Thanks for listening to Snacky Tunes. We'll be back with an all-new episode next week. What are you going to take us out with? Um, this is Hollywood Sun. We're going to take you to the West Coast for a little bit of dreamy landscapes. Perfect. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.
baby loves me and we're at the chateau my baby loves me and he's ready to go pull up the car the boulevard your name and stars Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org/slash subscribe.